Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey everyone, we're so happy you're here. We have a very special guest today. Mary Cummings is a literary agent who is going to tell us all about her life and work. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. So tell us about you. How'd you get started in publishing? For a long time, I was education director at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. It's a rather large but non-academic literary center. So I headed up the education department there, and amongst other things, for seven years, I selected judges for the McKnight Award in Children's Literature. So I got to know quite a few people through that. And I also organized an annual festival of children's literature that had publishing professionals, authors, etc. So when I left the Loft, it was a very natural thing for me to become a literary agent. It was another way to assist writers and illustrators in getting their work out there as books, which has always been a great passion for me. So I had actually hired Betsy Amster to be a teacher at the loft on a number of occasions. And she and I had a conversation and that led to me joining that agency to wrap books for kids and teens. Then after being with Betsy for 13 years, this last spring started my own agency, Great River Literary. What would you do in an alternate universe with no publishing? Okay, if we didn't have publishing, we'd have to find some other way to get stories spread around. People telling stories aloud one to another, and then you go from house to house or town to town because there's no publishing. We'd find multiple ways. It's like a progressive meal when you have an appetizer. (laughs) Can you tell us something that's changed your mind about your time in the industry? Yeah. At one time I thought, okay, if you've got a quality manuscript, an experienced editor, somebody with training and sensibilities, good ear, good eye, he's going to get it. They're going to recognize quality. And that isn't true. I thought that There was just something inherently obvious and accessible about something really well-crafted, something with something to say, said in a distinctive, memorable way with memorable characters. But editors vary a whole lot in what they respond to and what they're able to respond to. There there are all these kind of elusive things that go into decision-making, and I didn't realize that at first. Can you walk yeah. us through some of the elements that surprised you? Because I'm sure they'd be surprising to the listeners out there. Oh, just simply, you can have an, an editor who will respond to a manuscript saying, this is so fresh, this is needed in the field, I totally have vision for this, this is very exciting. I've even heard occasionally somebody saying, I brought this to my team and people teared up and then might get a response on the exact same project. Meh, thanks. I don't like books with whatever, animal characters, or I don't like books that have robots. They just can't see beyond that. It just doesn't resonate with them. That always surprises me when people have these sort of preset things. 
I feel like that's also something that comes into play with writers who are waiting to get an agent as well, because they think that when an agent passes on their work, that automatically translates to, oh my God, my work is horrible. Who am I to think I can write this? I don't know why I ever thought I could do this. They think that they're horrible writers because an agent passed on their work when that's not the truth. An agent may not know how to rep the work or may not have the connections for their work. There are so many reasons why an agent will pass on your work and it's subjective. And I think writers don't really understand that they do in theory, but they don't know how to make that resonate in their minds when they're getting these rejections. They take it very personally. You are 100% right on that. It really is an act of bravery to put your work out for judgment by somebody you don't know. And it's really hard to separate out, okay, somebody's responding to a product. Somebody is responding to what's on paper, not to me as a person, but you're absolutely right. Those things apply to clients, whether they're coming from an editor or from an agent. And there are so many reasons for declines. And a big one is, as you say, that individual, whether that's the agent or editor, just doesn't feel equipped to be the best champion for the work, doesn't feel sufficiently engaged by it or moved by it. That's absolutely a very common thing. I had a conversation about this the other day with somebody and I called it like Hawaiian pizza, right? Like people feel strongly, they love Hawaiian pizza or they hate Hawaiian pizza. And some people are neutral about Hawaiian pizza, but that's what the books are. And it's just, it's so curious. And it really is about just, if you love your book, keep working on trying to sell that book. Tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale. It's a little bit akin to what an author feels seeing their book in a display in a bookstore or in a library or something. It's a little bit of disbelief. It's like, oh, wow, that's what once was in much rougher, simpler form, a manuscript that I helped bring about. I remember just the fun of kind of standing back anonymously and watching people interact with the book. And you just feel really proud because it is something incredible to be a part of the process to bring a story out from what was in somebody's head and soul. Eventually, it's between two covers and it's out there for people to respond to, to buy and love or not. Maybe there's a negative but a strong reaction. And that's interesting too. And you don't know, but it, it's probably going to have real impact on at least some kids and you'll never see that, but it's happening. And wow, how great is that? What do you wish writers knew about things on your side of the desk? Just following up on what you mentioned before, Valentina, partly wanting to know that decision-making is not an easy thing and it's not done callously. It's not done to hurt people, but we are really busy. Whether we're agents or editors, we get lots and lots of emails. We have to work quickly and we can't take on all the good work that comes our way. You can't rep everything. So it's not a judgment. It's a practicality that I hope people can understand. So tell me about your slush pile. Okay. How do you attack it? Do you have a reader? 
I do have a reader. I look at everything myself first and then loop her in on some things that I really want her perspective on. If I know right away that it's not for me, then that's it. At least for me, time management 101 is keep on top of it. Look at things fast and be in a mindset where you can make decisions fast about what is promising and what is just not. So I move things immediately into a maybe pile or I delete them. And I say in my submission guidelines, if you don't hear from me, that's because I don't see a potential fit. I do read everything because if you don't keep on top of it, you're going to drown or you're not going to see something that might be wonderful. That's my basic strategy. It is hard because you're right. You will absolutely drown if you don't work on it every day. Yeah. Like very yeah. quickly that will get out of control. I describe it as like the moment in Miracle on 34th Street when everyone walks up to the judge's bench with the bags and bags of mail and just yeah. dumps out all the letters <laughs> to Santa. I think it's hard for writers out there to picture the deluge. It is a deluge. And I know for a lot of people, you still retain that sense of excitement, that sense that, oh, this next one might be incredible and a match. Yeah, you have to keep that excitement to keep going. Some people sort of derogatory tone when they talk about the slush pile. In fact, the term itself is derogatory, but it's where a lot of good stuff comes from. And many writers don't have the kind of inside track of a referral or a conference meeting. And so this is what they do and this is where they come from. It's interesting too, because people think different things about the slash pile. I had someone call my previous office and say, where is my work? And we said, oh, okay, so you sent it on this date. We don't know who you are. So it's in the slash pile. And they're like, how dare you put my work in the slash pile? I don't know where else it would go. They should just look at it, scan it as if it's a postal package that we just scan and route on a pneumatic tube to the correct place. It's not how it works at all. We have to be helpful. We have to be looking in there. And the way that you talk about that excitement, I think that's a huge part of it. Because if we didn't have that excitement to get a running start at it, it would just be so overwhelming and it would overwhelm us to the degree that it would be That's piles right. and piles of mail just knocking us over and someday they find right. us under thousands of letters yeah yeah it's very true because i know before i started working in publishing in my mind whenever i thought about a slush pile i thought about how you see in those old movies in like the 50s where they'd be like a little basket on the end of the desk and there's like piles and piles of things that's what my brain thought a slush pile was well, it kind of was like that back when everything was oh, paper. Yeah. And we got to write nice little notes on the rejection forms. There'd be a Xeroxed form, but we could write little things on it. And there'd be stacks and stacks of manuscript boxes. And you'd hear people describe how they had slush cats. So they had cats in the office who would just curl up on all the manuscripts and everything. And then it quadrupled because people didn't have to pay for a postage anymore. I'm actually right. feeling a picture book coming on, slush cats. <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't even like cats. That's so funny. I, I'm a so allergic. I know. A writer is starting from scratch. What advice do you give? Be patient is one of the things. I think some people just starting out as writers, particularly say with a picture book manuscript, might write it, feel incredibly proud and happy, which you're entitled. And then the next day or the day after, decide, okay, time to get this thing published. And I'll go online and find some agents and do a, hello, agent, here's my project. Okay, so don't do that. Become immersed 
in your genre, in what's being written today. I've actually had writers say to me, oh no, I don't want to read other things for my audience because I don't want to be influenced by that. I want to keep my own vision pure and individual and unimpacted. That's not realistic. You're going to have your own individual voice because you're you and there's so many factors that go into making a voice as a writer but you've got to be aware of how your project would fit into the marketplace what are the expectations for that kind of a book word lang plot expectations etc and that takes time so that gets back to my original point you got to be patient you've got to realize this is going to take some time and i think approach it like a craftsperson Okay, so somebody wants to learn how to play a musical instrument or how to dance or how to become a competitive skier. You don't do that in a week uh, and you don't do that in isolation. You do a lot of trial runs and exercises and you have to figure that things are going to flop and just not be a hit before you will finally have something that's worth presenting to the world that other people will want to read. That's true. Everyone does seem to expect it'll happen instantly. Sure, we all want that. It's a very human thing, but then you have to rein that in and say, okay, let's get real. We have to think of how a lot of things work in nature, right? This isn't hit a button, book pops out. It's like, if you want to grow some flowers, give yourself at least 90 days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what are you looking for in your inbox these days? What would be the ideal project? In terms of picture books, I'd absolutely love to see a picture book biography on one of the top opera singers of today. Lawrence Brownlee or Renee Fleming definitely come to mind. And I absolutely think that they would be marketable. There are a whole lot of contact points there for them. Love to see something on the Mississippi River. That's what my agency is named for. Really in middle grade, would like to see contemporary realistic. Magic realism also really appeals to me. I'm not great on high fantasy. I like fantastical elements woven in with a kind of more or less recognizable world. Those are my tops right there. But I have a fuller wish list on my website. So tell us if you did have Google level funding and you could really transform anything or create anything, what would you create? What can I say? Peace in Ukraine. I think that is the perfect answer right now. I think that if we all had the funding, what could we do to help? So that's a perfect answer. Um, Fundamentally, in a lot of ways, I am an educator. I really like to give them tips to give them things that can help them in some way. So I was thinking a lot of people tuning in here are wondering about how should you handle an introductory phone call with an agent? And so some of this people already know, but there's probably a few little bits in here that might be helpful. Obviously, be ready for the call. Jot down your questions, things that you want to make sure that you learn ahead of time. You want the conversation to flow comfortably and naturally kind of get your ducks in a row ahead of time. And because ultimately you want information and you also want to have just a sense of what that working relationship would be like. So there's some concrete and some kind of intangible things that are going to happen in that phone call. And agents are people like really, there are certain industry norms, there are ethics, processes that are going to be in common with any agent. But then there are a lot of differences in how people work, in how they communicate with their clients. Some are introverts, some are extroverts, and you need to be able to resonate and find a comfort level. The agent is probably going to take the lead in the conversation. The agent should do that so that many of your questions that you had ready are going to be addressed by the agent. You won't actually have to bring them up. Always feel free to ask for clarification, expansion. The agent should be welcoming 
and open to your concern and your ideas. You want to have a sense of transparency and honesty there. Sometimes writers think or assume that an agent is going to pitch everything that they write, but there's really a lot of variation on that issue. Are you prolific? Are you writing multiple genres? Most likely, some of what you write is going to stay in your portfolio, at least for a period of time. And the agent is going to guide you in prioritizing the use of your time and energy. But it might be that the market just simply isn't right for some of what you've written. And the agent is not likely to bring this up, but would probably appreciate and be impressed if you ask things like, what do you most appreciate in your client? Is there anything you particularly don't like clients to do? And then how the agent responds is going to give you some more insight into how that person works, that person's personality. And then just lastly, I think being straight, honest, authentic, really important. If you're guarded, the agent is going to pick up on that and wonder why. You should both be happy about teaming up. It shouldn't be a feeling like one is doing a favor to the other or that there's an unequal power. It is very much a partnership and both parties need to feel that way. Thank you. I think those are all some really good tips and writers get so nervous to talk with agents. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. But it is a conversation. You're not walking the plank to the shark-infested <laughs> sea. <laughs> yeah, That's really is. funny. Yeah, it's not like there's that much you can really do to mess it up other than, I guess, if you go in and you're like, I need my agent to do the following 27 things exactly this way. Now, that's probably not the energy you want to bring in, but short of that, it's generally going to be okay. Right. And they're already super interested if they're on the phone with you. They can't. Yeah, everybody. if you've gotten to that point, they definitely are super interested. I think that writers are essentially good people and we're all these people in this industry, but I do really thank you for giving us that list. There were some things on there that I hadn't thought of. And I think it's just helpful to go into any business type situation, centered, grounded with a plan. And I think when people feel so nervous, they start feeling out of control. That's like when you see someone I've done interview boards where you're sitting interviewing someone and you're like, oh, you don't need to be that nervous. And I think that happens a lot and then they kick themselves. So I think having them frame their brain around those questions and those ideas is going to be really helpful to people. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So tell us more about you. What do you do when you're not working? Well, I'm a maniac about opera. I adore opera, not as a performer myself, but as a passionate listener and that feeds me that nourishes my soul every day so I listen to opera a lot watch performances I'm a gardener but I live in Minnesota there's this long period of the garden resting and then when spring comes see that's another thing about living in this part of the country you're just so grateful when the season changes and you can be out there in the dirt and making beautiful flowers come out so curious as an agent do you look at picture books with a musical ear does the music influence the work i've got to say it really does but the other thing that is a huge influencer is the visual qualities of the language and the visual possibilities for an illustrator i was originally an art history major and have worked in lots of museums and art centers and 
remain very involved in the visual arts. So I have a leg up in that sense for being able to look at text and thinking, okay, what could happen here? Maybe there's something wonderful about it, but it isn't nearly visually dynamic enough, varied enough. And then I can be helpful in pointing that out to a writer and maybe bringing something that would have been unmarketable, <laughs> bringing it forth into something that is is workable and saleable. I also want to jump on the fact that you like opera. One of the strange ironies of living in New York is that it's actually much cheaper to get opera tickets than it is to get Broadway tickets. And so my friend and I really enjoy getting the $25 tickets that are up at the very, very tip top. And you can't see very well, but you can hear everything. And the sound is yeah. incredible up there. It is. And they actually have people sitting there with little lights over the libretto, just going, turning the pages, following along, yep. learning. It's Gorgeous. Yeah. Garrison Keeler said at one point, he said, going to an opera, you sit down in your seat, you wrestle your little leaf through your program and watch the other people. And he said, you have this feeling that this might be an evening that you'll remember the rest of your life. And that doesn't happen with that many things in that many places. Okay. So where can we find you online? GreatRiverLiterary.com is my website. I've done a lot of interviews and there are links to those on my website. And in the interviews, people can learn more about me specifically, but also information just about the publishing industry in general that will be helpful to them. Thank you yeah. so much for talking with us. I know the world is super busy right now. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yes, oh, this is, this is great. I appreciate it. And I thank you all. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.